1: The following podcast contains explicit language.
2: Tell Mr. Trump you want to meet him. I love you, Trump! <laughs> Nobody use any racial slurs. Nobody call me the word. It's microaggressions. He does not support Mexicans, not Jews, not Muslims, not blacks. No one but his own kind, the rich. When
1: Trump says we'll lose our country, that's not just a... I mean, maybe he's being a little extreme.
3: Welcome to Trumpcast, the show about Paul Ryan's new best friend, Donald Trump. My name is Leon Nafok, and I am stealing the show today from my boss, Jacob Weisberg, in order to talk about Nate Silver, who spent much of the past year writing on his website 538.com that Donald Trump was not a serious candidate for the Republican nomination. At one point, he put Trump's odds at just 2%. The fact that Silver got Trump so wrong was notable because he has a track record of getting so many things right. And over the past few weeks, he has been criticized and even mocked for the confidence with which he counted Trump out. Joining me today to talk about whether that criticism and mockery is deserved or not are friends of Slate, Jordan Ellenberg and Dave Weigel. They'll be here in a minute, but first, let's check it on Trump's tweets.
2: Crooked Hillary just can't close the deal with Bernie. It would be the same way with ISIS and China on trade, and Mexico at the border. Bad. Crooked Hillary Clinton say she got more primary votes than Donald Trump. But I had 17 people to beat. She had one. Joe Scarborough initially endorsed Jeb Bush, and Jeb crashed, then John Kasich, and that didn't work. Not much power or insight. It is only the people that were never asked to be VP that tell the press that they will not take the position the clintons spent millions on negative ads on me and i can't tell the truth about her husband don't feel sorry for crooked hillary
3: my guests today are jordan ellenberg and dave Weigel. Jordan is a professor of mathematics at the University of Wisconsin Madison and the author of How Not to Be Wrong The Power of Mathematical Thinking. Hi, Jordan. Hi. And on the other line is Dave Weigel. Dave is a national political correspondent for the Washington Post, and he has a book coming out about progressive rock. Hey, Dave. Hey, good to be back. So, to start, I wanted to uh, engage with what I Think is sort of the most elegant and simple argument I've heard from a number of Nate Silver defenders, who say that Nate did not say a Trump nomination was impossible, only that it was unlikely, and that the fact of Trump's victory does not magically make that wrong. Trump's victory was unlikely; they say Nate was right. So uh, I wanted to know what uh, you guys think about that, Jordan. Uh, let's start with you. How should I think about that argument?
0: Yeah, so I'm definitely supportive of that argument, and I'm strongly in the leave Nate Silver alone camp on this one. I think. Somebody who a year ago, or even in January, thought it was likely that Trump would be the nominee, I think that would have been an incorrect statement at that time, even though it came out being correct, right? If you buy a lottery ticket and, you sh- and you're sure you're going to win, and you do win, that doesn't make it a good decision in retrospect.
3: Right. Uh, and so when Nate said Trump had a 5% chance to win, you're saying, well, he did have a 5% chance. And it just so happened that, that reality happened to fall within that
0: 5%. Right. I mean, improbable things happen a lot right? I mean, there's a lot more than 20 things you could ask about in this world. And given that, there's a lot of 5% chances
1: that are coming true. Uh,
3: Dave, what about you? Do you buy that? Does that convince you? The
1: logic of the statement is is totally there, but that's not what Nate was doing by saying 5%. And that's also not why there's so much glee in the media about him being quote, unquote, wrong. Uh, The way that Nate phrased this throughout 2015, uh, really before that, when 538 was starting he took this tone that journalism that was not data journalism not journalism based was inherently stupid and wrong he had statements in all these pre-interviews uh, kind of being goaded into to doing it but i think with a little bit of glee at how the 2012 election had gone saying that a lot of what columnists did was worthless and when he was analyzing trump and coming up with these very low probabilities that trump could win it was always with a tone that the media was doing everyone a disservice by pretending otherwise Uh, there was the the most infamous headline is dear media please stop freaking out about donald trump's polls if you're saying people are freaking out you're implying that they are ignorant about something that's that's crazy not not that is unlikely but it's just it's not worth worrying about at all you wouldn't tell somebody hey like hey guy in in South Florida, stop freaking out about hurricanes. You wouldn't even you wouldn't say like there might not be one this year, but it's something you should worry about. And I feel like that is why there has been such a blanket party of glee over him not not getting this election right, because the way he got it wrong was so arrogant.
3: So, Dave, just so we're all on the same page, why did Nate Silver think that the polls showing Donald Trump ahead were better off ignored? Why did, why, what was his reason for discounting them?
1: So I actually think his explanations for this, as he's been humbled into making them, have all been very good and correct. And it's that the Republican base, as we understood it with the limited number of elections we had, was not inclined to give someone like this a nomination. It just it just hadn't recently, even in anger swells that we've seen since Barack Obama was elected president, it didn't tend to reward somebody with all the heresies of Trump just because he was he was oppositional. This was based on the party decides thesis on a lot of other things it made it made sense i think had he just said uh it's unlikely that, that trump will win i don't think you would have seen quite the same level of of mockery of it and i should say since trump started winning the analysis that he and harry Enten and the rest of the team have done of who these voters are has been very good But the problem is a lot of the media ignore it and just kind of cover trump as a goofy point hundred. Cameras, Adam phenomenon. the The analysis of who actually proved them wrong, I think, has been good and sort of crow, uh, crow eating. But the analysis of why it could never happen was silly, and I think I think he's explained that enough by now.
3: Well, so you you, you mentioned uh, the party decides theory. Can we just mm-hmm. go back to that for a second? Now? You wrote a piece back in December. Uh, saying that data journalists, uh, Nate Silver among them, were, were missing something. That There's, there's this huge story uh, that they were just not taking seriously. So now that, now that Trump is the presumptive nominee, can, can you just describe for me what do you think he missed? Uh, what were his assumptions that turned out to be wrong?
1: That article wasn't even about me being right or anyone being wrong about who would win the primary. It was just that right. – the binary question of who will who will be president, this guy will, this guy won't, or who will be the nominee.
0: Well, it was a very non-binary question this time, which is part of the problem.
1: Right. But somebody wins an election, somebody loses. So if all you're interested in is somebody winning the election, then indeed you could ignore a lot of other trends. And uh, I always think our old colleague Matt Iglesias said this about Romney. He sort of, with a (laughs) Bit of bit of disdain towards how much political media there is that if you just ignored all political coverage for the year up to Romney's nomination, you would have assumed Romney wins the nomination because the polls said Romney would win. And you could have done the same with with Trump. And the point I was making is just that the worship of predictability or or, or prediction and odds and trends was ignoring this insane phenomenon happening across the country called the, the Trump movement. It would have led you to ignore the Bernie Sanders movement, too. And the kind of the formative experience of my reporting life was Ron Paul's campaigns for president, where somebody who never was going to win and indeed did not win, ended up moving the direction of the party and creating what looks minor now because Rand Paul, his son, did so poorly, but really did radicalize elements of the party. And before that, I was kind of a history nerd. And I thought Goldwater was interesting, even though he didn't become president because he radicalized the party. So I thought that the Everyone in the media shut up and stopped panicking about this argument made by not just Nate, but I mean, much less excusably by a lot of replacement level pundits just who didn't even bother to talk to voters and just said we should all ignore these trends. They were missing this huge phenomenon that is changing one of our two political parties into something kind of dark and, and more like the French National Front than the party we're used to.
0: Right, but of course, it's not Nate Silver's job to tell that story, right? I mean, Silver is not right. a guy who's going to talk about the meaning of politics. That's not what he's doing. Right. right? He's there to talk about what's likely to happen and what's not likely to happen. So, I think it's unfair to bl- to blame Nate for missing a story that's not on his beat.
1: No, and I, I actually I come I come not to bury Nate Silver, I, and I really do think he's like I said before he's he he he's eaten a lot of crow. And what, when there is election data to crunch, they're very good. It's more the people who's, who who <laughs> then spun off that to say. Why is the media spending all this time on this tr- on this Trump phenomenon, or, and then just as a second order on the Bernie phenomenon? It's more when people used the crutch of "well, Nate Silver says this" to say that the media should cover something less or ignore something. I thought that was the mistake.
3: But one of the one of the pieces of evidence that that Nate I think used to to defend uh, dismissing Trump as a serious candidate or, or or a meaningful movement was that the polls that you might. Look at as evidence of a, of a movement were unreliable, right? So, so, so these were pre-primary polls, and in the past, pre-primary polls were not uh, reliable. They, 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 they didn't really tell you much about what was going to happen when people actually voted. So th- that gets me back to this question of like, can we really say now that Trump is the, the presumptive nominee that his assumptions were wrong?
0: Well, here's the thing: we come here to kind of a sort of can we go philosophical? This is sort of comes to a deep philosophical point of like, what do you actually mean? when you say there's a 5% chance that something's going to happen in the future. Yes. And if you really drill down into that, it's rather confusing, right? Because what do you mean when you say there's a 5% chance it's going to rain tomorrow? I mean, it it either is or is not, right? After the fact that either it did or it didn't. Well, what you actually mean, I mean, if you like drill down into what a meteorologist is doing, is you say, if you look at days that were like today, where the conditions were similar to what they are right now, and if you're a meteorologist, you have like thousands and thousands of days like that, right? You say like, in how many of them did it rain the next day? And maybe that's one out of 20. Now, sometimes you're in a situation where the conditions that currently obtain just don't really have any comparison. They're really not very much like any particular conditions that have arisen before. And in a context like elections, which is like um, where you have many fewer data points than you do for weather, that's a much greater danger. Now, here's the problem if you're Nate Silver. If you're Nate Silver and something truly weird is happening that's kind of unprecedented and doesn't really have a match in previous elections, and, and, you know, you have this website that you run and there's like a lot of money and a lot of people are looking at it. I think you can't really say, OK, this is different and we have no idea what's going to happen and it would be inappropriate to, like, put any numbers on the screen. Right. He can't. I mean, as I understand, it, he can't actually do that. Right.
1: I don't think that'd be economically advisable. No. And but I guess <laughs> getting back to what he was saying at the time when he, he gave that low probability, the tell, everybody stopped freaking out post was the the argument was that these early polls are unreliable, which is sometimes true in terms of how the, the prejudices voters, voters, voters will have going into the actual election. Uh, but then he went back and said, well, this, this percentage of voters supporting Trump represents only the small percentage of voters who will vote overall and the small percentage of Republican primary voters. And it was just kind of this way of saying you shouldn't – you didn't need to worry about a Donald Trump movement because it was a fraction of a fraction of a fraction based on early polls. And that just didn't strike me as correct. Lots of movements that succeed – Are not majority movements. They just take over politically because they understand the system and overwhelm in the right areas. They just it was a strange argument about why you should should not pay attention, because it seems the reader or watcher of TV would say, gosh, it seems like a lot of people are showing up to hear this guy ramble for an hour about trade and Muslims. And the response from from five thirty eight was, yeah, but that's not that many people and that just didn't seem like a good way to cover the election.
3: So what would have been like the more responsible or mathematically sound way to interpret what Nate was saying? When he says he has a 5% chance this goes back to your to your point about the weather. Like for I think for non-stats people like myself, there's something non-intuitive about the idea that that say Trump had a 5% chance of winning. I my 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 brain immediately wants to know like 5% of what? What what information is contained in that forecast, Jordan?
0: Well, so again, I think this is where it gets complicated because you could say that it means under 5% of similar situations, you know, in similar situations, the guy who was like Trump won one out of 20 times, but there probably aren't enough similar situations for that to really make sense. Probably the best way to think of it is that it's expressing some kind of degree of belief. Actually, you know what I like it to do, there's a, no, unfortunately, I don't have this website in front of me, but there's a site where you can type in a probability and it translates it into baseball terms. So in other words, if you type in 5%, it'll be like, okay, a team that is down three runs and batting in the bottom of the eighth wins 5% of the, the time. And that's kind of a calibration for your mind. If you follow baseball to say like, oh, that's how unlikely it is. Like if your team's down three in the bottom of the eighth, you haven't given up, you could win. Probably you're not. And that's kind of a way of thinking about what a 5% probability really means.
3: You should also note that, um, Nate himself in a podcast the other day talking about this whole thing called back to his to his you know, quantitative uh, forecast, the 2%, the 5%. He said, you know, th- these weren't like the results of a model that I built. These were subjective odds that I gave. They, they, they were kind of arbitrary. That was a quote, kind of, kind of arbitrary, he said. So when I when I heard that, I thought to myself, well, these were predictions expressed as numbers. That I sort of, in my untrained mind, uh, interpreted as statistical in some in some in some basic way, and so so I have a hard time understanding how that's not just punditry. Dave, what, what do you what do you think?
1: I think the question is really only fully answerable by Nate himself, but it certainly sounds like it was just punditry, and it was punditry using the shits that he had from things that were not pure punditry, right? And he might he might have felt in his gut four years ago that Florida was more of a Romney state than he then he predicted, but the data said this. We so went with that, and I think I think it was it was much more punditry. And I think he's he said as much uh, several times. He said this after the British election and the Scottish referendum, where he, both times he was called to analyze something he honestly didn't know that well. He was introducing himself to looking at data for the first time, and has and has apologized for being a pundit, which we know from the rest of his writing is the lowest thing you can be. It's it's some kind of it's like a crustacean, something way down the food chain. Pundits are terrible. He was probably for being that. But he was he, I think, was compelled to be that way, probably for the same way. A lot of people who know less about data wanted to underrate Trump. I mean, this was not something I really indulged in, although I think if you had run the election with the same facts a hundred times. And in some of those cases, Marco Rubio had not muffed it at the New Hampshire debate. It might have been a different primary. I think you still would have had that level of support for Trump, but it might have ended a little bit different. Who knows? And again, I, I, if I were to if you were to line up all of the people in a tribunal who who got this wrong, I think Nate was not the worst at all. He always he always <laughs> no, he always caveated and he always had re, um, reasons apart from that one media shut up. You're t- to stop freaking out. Colin. Apart from that, a lot of people I, I think still the the Marvel no prize has to go to Nick Kristoff, who just imagined a conversation with a Trump voter. Without talking to one, I mean, there are more than ten million of these people already. I don't think Nick Kristoff didn't would put even it up. find a cab driver. Aren't you supposed to find a cab driver who's voting for I, just Trump find and, like, a cab I don't think he, I don't think Nick Kristoff would put up with me if I if I said let let me imagine a, a conversation with the a, with a Syrian refugee. What's what's he like? Let me just guess. He's probably <laughs> like there was a lot of that that was much more harmful.
0: Or what if nature started imagining taking polls? I imagined there was or, a poll. There wasn't one, but you know it would be good if there was.
1: Imagine a, imagine a housewife who answers the, the poll question. Imagine the pollster. No, I, I, think, I think he was indul, indulging in punditry there, and I'm just trying to back up and defend him a little bit and saying other people did worse. They just didn't have this patina of science behind it, right? People wanted to believe there's some reason they could ignore Trump or that Trump couldn't happen, so they said, well, Nate Silver says it, and no one else had that power. Uh so he—he, he, he I think he has reckoned correctly. You know, like Spider-Man failing to save Uncle Ben using these powers he's been given for something less highfalutin than than he could have.
3: Right, but so, but, 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 Jordan, I want to know what you think. Like he said five percent. Like that's a number, and and when you hear Nate Silver, the guy who is the king of numbers, tell you that something is five percent likely, like you're going to interpret that as a you know, formally derived forecast that came from some model. Like, do you th- was it irresponsible for him to, to use numbers in that way to sort of dress up what uh, it sounds like we all can agree was roughly punditry in, th- you know, th- the clothing of, of, of statistics?
0: So this is where I feel like it would be super hard to be Nate Silver. Because like I don't know the guy that well, but I mean, I sort of think of him as like somebody like me. I sort of put myself in his shoes. And I feel like I'm sure... He doesn't really want to put hard numbers at a time when, when, you have, when like nobody's voted and you have these kind of pre-primary polls. That's a low-data environment. And yeah, I think in that context, there's no choice but to have like a lot of guesses built into your model. Even if it's formal, there's a lot of guesses in it. The closer he gets to the election, the more he's going to be able to say, like, this number is meaningful. It comes from something formal. But I, don't, I, I guess I just don't think he has the option to wait.
3: Because he has a website right. Yeah. Um, Okay, I want to ask one more question um, to sort of wrap this up. Um, In the past, Nate and 538 have been really, really, really good at forecasting general elections. I believe they got every state right uh, in 2012. But they were very bad at forecasting Trump in this election, at least sort of in the macro sense. How should we feel about the site and about Nate and about his methods as they set about forecasting a Trump general election?
0: So I think it's a huge net positive to have this in conjunction with the existing infrastructure of punditry. I think having this kind of like methodological diversity is a massive net positive. Um, I think that every single model is based on the idea that conditions now are in some way similar to conditions that have obtained in the past. If that's not true, then I think we should be a lot less confident. And actually, I have a question for Dave, which is, do you think there's going to be a big, shy, Trumpy effect? Like, is it, are there going to be systematically people lying to polls and saying they're not going to vote for Trump when actually they are?
1: Well, I want that to be studied because I, I feel some of that might have already happened in, May, in Maryland and Pennsylvania. Right. Uh, and Mary, Maryland's a good pla- a place to look at that example, because you know, George Wallace ran in the 1964 primary, did much better than I expected there. Same thing with Wisconsin. He did. He has outperformed w- when the, the electorate was Republicans and ornery ex-Democrats. That's something that I want people with the brainpower of Nate Silver at all to to wrestle with before we get to the election. I remember this coming up with Barack Obama in 2008. I just saw no evidence based on recent elections with black candidates that there was a quote unquote Bradley effect. There was an idea that people would tell a pollster they're voting for the black guy and not do it. I didn't see that, but the, 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 the kind of combination of toxic Trump favorables and slightly less toxic, maybe just food poison inducing Hillary unfavorables, the combination of that, I think, does create this risk there. Uh, I should say that Democrats have their own sort of theory here, which is that there'll be people who tell maybe even their husbands they're going to vote for Trump, and then they'll come out and vote for Hillary Clinton. So this is, this is like a general election that still very much needs, needs actual data. I mean, the point is that if there
0: are large scale effects like that, I think there, I mean, again, Dave, you would know this better than me, but I don't think we've had like massive like misstatements to pollsters in previous general elections. And if that kind of effect is in place in this election, then all bets are off, right?
1: Now, we often have, been, have misinterpreted, by we I mean people who are not us, have misinterpreted polls <laughs> that were kind of wrong about the election as maybe people lied to pollsters. And what, for example, the victorious Obama campaign in 2012 would say was, no, our data internally said we were going to win by this much. Romney's didn't because we modeled better than they did and we knew our people were coming out. And that's going to be another tricky thing about this election because the Hillary campaign is has always bet on just grinding this out by getting every single possible Hillary voter to the polls and knowing who they are and what their pet eats for for breakfast and everything. And the Trump campaign is going to be, I'm Trump. Here's a big rally. Go out and vote for me. So it's gonna be it's gonna be really hard, harder to to predict from on that on that basis from the Republican side.
0: I agree it's going to be harder to figure out what's going on from polls than usual, but I'm just being a pundit when I say that, not a (laughs) mathematician.
3: Jordan Ellenberg is, again, a professor of mathematics at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and Dave Weigel is a national political correspondent for The Washington Post. Thank you both for joining me on the show.
1: Thanks, Leon. Thank you.
3: That is it for today's episode of Trumpcast. The show is produced by Henry Malofsky and Jason DeLeon. Slate's executive producer is Steve Liktai. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Special thanks to John DiDomenico, our voice of Donald Trump. I'm Leon Nafok. Thank you for listening to Trumpcast.